Morning, everyone. So my name is Genevieve, and I'm from Trinity Church, Paraka. It pleased Darius to appoint 120 satraps to rule throughout the kingdom, with three administrators over them, one of whom was Daniel. The satraps were made accountable to them so that the king might not suffer loss. Now Daniel so distinguished himself among the administrators and the satraps by his exceptional qualities that the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. At this, the administrators and the satraps tried to find grounds for charges against Daniel in his conduct of government affairs, but they were unable to do so. They could find no corruption in him because he was trustworthy and neither corrupt nor negligent. Finally, these men said, We will never find any basis for charges against this man Daniel unless it has something to do with the law of his God. So these administrators and satraps went as a group to the king and said, Making Darius live forever. The royal administrators, prefects, satraps, Advisers and governors have all agreed that the king should issue an edict and enforce the decree that anyone who prays to any god or human being during the next 30 days, except to you, your majesty, shall be thrown into the lion's den. Now, your majesty issued the decree and put it in writing so that it cannot be altered in accordance with the law of the Medes and Persians, which cannot be repealed. So King Darius put the decree in writing. Now when Daniel learned that the decree had been published, he went home to his upstairs room where the windows opened toward Jerusalem. Three times a day he got down on his knees and prayed, giving thanks to his God, just as he had done before. Then these men went as a group and found Daniel praying, and asking God for help. So they went to the king and spoke to him about his royal decree. Did you not publish a decree that during the next 30 days, anyone who prays to any god or human being except to you, your majesty, would be thrown into the lion's den? The king answered, the decree stands in accordance with the law of the Medes and Persians, which cannot be repealed. Then they said to the king, Daniel, who is one of the exiles from Judah, pays no attention to you, your majesty, or to the decree you put in writing. He still prays three times a day. When the king heard this, he was greatly distressed. He was determined to rescue Daniel and made every effort until sundown to save him. Then the men went as a group to King Darius and said to him, Remember, your majesty, that according to the law of the Medes and Persians, no decree or edict that the king issues can be changed. So the king gave the order, and they brought Daniel and threw him into the lion's den. The king said to Daniel, May your God, whom you serve continually, rescue you. A stone was brought and placed over the mouth of the den, and the king sealed it with his own signet ring and with the rings of his nobles, so that Daniel's situation might not be changed. Then the king returned to his palace and spent the night without eating 
and without any entertainment being brought to him, and he could not sleep. At the first light of dawn, the king got up and hurried to the lion's den. When he came near the den, he called to Daniel in an anguished voice, Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve continually, been able to rescue you from the lions? Daniel answered, May the king live forever. My God sent his angel, and he shut the mouths of the lions. They have not hurt me, because I was found innocent in his sight. Nor have I ever done any wrongs before you, your majesty. The king was overjoyed and gave orders to lift Daniel out of the den. And when Daniel was lifted from the den, no wound was found on him because he had trusted in his God. At the king's command, the men who had falsely accused Daniel were brought in and thrown into the lion's den, along with their wives and children. And before they reached the floor of the den, the lions overpowered them and crushed all their bones. Then King Darius wrote to all the nations and peoples of every language in all the earth, May you prosper greatly. I issue a decree that in every part of my kingdom, people must fear and reverence the God of Daniel. For he is a living God, and he endures forever. His kingdom will not be destroyed. His dominion will never end. He rescues and he saves. He performs signs and wonders in the heavens and on the earth. He has rescued Daniel from the power of the lions. So Daniel prospered during the reign of Darius and the reign of Cyrus the Persian. It's good to be with you in Adelaide. I've done the Australian tour the last few days, so I feel like if I were in a band, I'd have my guitar and I'd look on the back of it and say, hello, Adelaide, and play. It's great. But I've obviously known about the Trinity Network a while and uh, spent some time with Paul and Sue uh, last year as well. So it's great to be with you. How about we pray? Then we're going to look at that uh, chapter of the Bible and see what happens. I prefer to go out with the kids and actually find out what happens and see what happens there. Father God, thank you for your goodness to us. We thank you for this passage of the Bible and we pray that you will give us understanding into your word as we look at today and that we will be changed by it as well, not just understand it, but put it into practice in our lives. Amen. Now, this is a very famous painting uh, by Breton Riviere. Sounds French, but he's English. Um, He was. uh, Called Daniel in the Lion's Den. And the thing about Daniel and other stories like Noah in the book of uh, the Old Testament, is that familiarity can breed contempt. You think you kind of know the story, and if you read the story to your kids at night, the lions don't end up looking like that. There's a, a sense in that painting of a very quiet Daniel, and there's impotence and rage in the lions, whereas the kids' storybooks you read have got these big, you know, furry pussycats sitting there. There's something going on bigger in the story, There's something bigger at stake in this story than just lions. And it's an important passage of scripture. And if you're a Christian here today, this is a great passage to show us in the heat of the moment that we're in culturally as Christians, because I think the temperature has been dialed up a little bit for Christians in the public square. How do we respond? How should we live? And if you're not a Christian here today, I want to give you a little bit of an insight into what a joined up life looks like 
What does it mean to be someone who follows God, not just in compartmentalised ways or in an opinion on a Sunday morning, but through all of life? And that might be something that repels you or attracts you today if you're, if you're not a Christian. So Christian, how do we navigate a, an increasingly hostile world, one in which even if you're like Daniel and you're the best you possibly can be, you can still get into trouble? What if the HR department at work says, next week it's wear it purple day, <laughs> or our uni peers are hostile towards Christianity, or you are Andrew Thorburn and you end up on, uh, you know, or Guy Mason ending up on uh, the Sunrise Show about the CEO of Essendon Football Club who gets to keep his job for a day because of his Christian ethical framework. And if you're not Christian here, as I was saying, I want to show you that there's something bigger than having an identity that's wrapped up in your job or your career or even your identity of who you are as a person. So here's the thing, we all seek identity in something and if it's not in the right place, it's not sorted out now, and that's for Christians as well, you might be surprised and dismayed at what you'd give up to maintain your safety or your identity or the thing that you value the most. So we're going to look at uh, this story in three headings. Faultless in Babylon, Daniel's faultless in Babylon. Daniel's focused on Jerusalem, so he's faultless in Babylon, but he's focused on Jerusalem, and he's faithful to death. First you've got, he is faultless in Babylon. If you read the book of Daniel, the first six chapters are about a very hostile workplace. If you think your CEO or your uh, floor manager is hostile, how many times have they threatened you with actual death uh, for not doing what they've asked you to do? Uh, This is the most tyrant CEO you could ever have, a succession of kings in Babylon and then in Persia who, at the drop of a hat, can kill you if you get things wrong. And Daniel's in the midst of it. And Daniel has navigated this life as an exile, a young exile from Jerusalem, taken to Babylon when Babylon took over uh, the whole of the region and destroyed so many places. And he finds himself in Babylon, and eventually the Babylonian kingdom uh, wanes and is taken over by the Medes and Persians kingdom. It's a time of great tumult in history. And Daniel, against all the odds, has navigated his way through to the top of the ranks. And nothing sticks. He's faultless. He's absolutely faultless. It says, Then this Daniel became distinguished above all of the other high officials and satraps because an excellent spirit was in him, and the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. See, there's something about Daniel that isn't just about gifting. There's something more than gifting. There's character. There's integrity. There's something centred about Daniel. But here's the thing, of course, I don't know what your workplace is like, but the court of a king in the ancient world is a place of intrigue. It's a veritable game of thrones. And your succession in a role means that someone else isn't getting that role. And I don't know how that plays out in the modern world. Actually, I do know how that plays out in the modern world. But here's how it plays out in the ancient world then the high officials and the satraps sought to find a ground for complaint against Daniel with regard to the kingdom, but they could find no ground for complaint or any fault because he was faithful and no error or fault was found in him. See, they're not going to take the office politics of the king raising Daniel to the second in charge lying down. So they do the usual due diligence. 
They check his accounts, his social media. They check to see if there's any backhanders going on. And there's nothing. He's a clean skin, absolute clean skin. Now, as an aside, here's what I want to say to Christians. If you're God's person in the workplace, make sure that you're suffering for the right reasons, okay? Make sure it's for the right reasons. Because workplace can become a what-can-I-get-away-with place. But as you look through the Old Testament with someone like Joseph and then someone like Daniel, and you look through the New Testament in letters like 1 Peter, it shows that Christian people are set to a higher standard. And the reason is because it isn't just the king of Babylon who's watching. It's not just Caesar who's watching. It's not just your CEO who's watching. There's another God, another boss, another king, another master. See, Christians in the workplace aren't to do the right thing for pragmatic reasons or for selfish reasons or ambitious reasons. They're to do the right thing Because God is the God above who sees everything. There isn't just an audience of one for a Christian. You can't just clock watch and then wait till the boss walks out and then you leave and hope that the boss thinks that's okay and you've stayed till whenever. There's a king above. But the other thing about this passage that we find out is that I think in the past we thought that our Christian integrity would give us a hall pass And there's Daniel, who's faultless in absolutely everything, but there's a chink in his armour in the court of Babylon, and it's this. And it's the same thing that compels his integrity, that he is answerable to a king above the king. He's answerable to a king above the king. And that's the same thing that has to compel your integrity. And if you're reading the passage, you realise that might be the same thing that puts you at risk in your workplace if you're worshipping and serving and see your identity in something beyond this workplace. And it's a challenge to our success and survival. And that's what we find. Then these men said, we shall not find any ground for complaint against this Daniel unless we find it in connection with the law of his God. And here's the thing about Daniel. From the point that he got into Babylon, he lived what we call a joined-up life. Everything about his life was successful in the workplace. He navigated that well. But above that was this life that was lived for God all of the time. And it started to leak out of him to the point that other people noticed it. And these men, these satraps, think there's our in. There's our in. What happens when God is your boss and your other boss asks you to do something that cuts against that? To make a decision that's a bit dodgy. You see, today, the the, the saying is, you might have heard it, bring your whole self to work. I mean, who wants to do that anymore, you know? If, if all my colleagues, you know, not mine, I work at a church organisation, it's just pure as a driven snow. Um, bring your whole self to work. But what does that mean to bring my view that God is king above absolutely everything to work? That's a challenge, I think, culturally for Christians at the moment. It might be problematic and which it soon became for Daniel. And the jealous leaders picked it because they knew that unlike the other gods who you could worship and you could then do what the king said and do what that god said, Daniel lived a joined-up life. He did bring his whole self to work. 
They knew he had values that they thought were weird. So they leveraged it. And uh, they flatter the king, of course. They come to him, sidle up to him. Oh, king, live forever. And they concoct this plan that no one can pray to anyone else except for the king for 30 days. Whoever makes a petition... Go back one. Whoever makes a petition to any god or man for 30 days except to you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions. All they did, that's verse 7, was simply find something that Daniel could not affirm, so to speak. And for decades Daniel had survived, but now it came to, it's just 30 days. Just just a small thing, just 30 days. And it's such a small thing in the context of a man, Daniel, who's grown old living in this setting, who survived this setting from a young man to perhaps even older than me, if you could imagine that. And it's all hinging on this 30 days. What's 30 days in the big scheme of things compared to 30 more years serving the pagan king and doing good and showing that you are God's person in this setting? What's just rolling over and affirming something in the workplace that you don't believe? What's just one day wearing purple, for example, that Christians are finding themselves struggling with? Just that, and then you're in the clear. It won't be awkward for you anymore. You won't be viewed as a bigot. Just 30 days. What will he do? Well, the question is, what did he do, isn't it? Because Daniel, it says was not only faultless in Babylon, he was focused on Jerusalem. And he was faultless in Babylon because he was focused on Jerusalem. It says this in verse 10. Now, when Daniel learned that the decree had been signed and published, he went home to his upstairs room where the windows opened towards Jerusalem. Three times a day he got down on his knees and prayed, giving thanks to his God just as he had done before. Two major observations. First, the focus of Daniel's hope determined what he would do next. The focus of his hope determined what he would do next. Where he really had his hope was demonstrated by what he reflexively did. And secondly, the practice of Daniel's life determined what he wouldn't do next. What he wouldn't do next. The focus of his life and the practice of his life blended together to produce a highly formative way of life that he was not going to change, regardless of the circumstances. I've got to say, as disciples of Jesus, when the cultural pressure is on, it's the focus and the practice that are going to show where we're at. Because <laughs> you can't take out of the bank what you haven't put in. You can't take out of the bank what you haven't put in. And the first thing that Daniel did, he opened the windows towards Jerusalem. See, the focus of Daniel's hope, when everyone else is saying, Daniel, this is Babylon. This is the future. Jerusalem is on the wrong side of history. It's a rubble heap. The king has destroyed it. Babylon's on the right side. God's on the wrong side. 
But Daniel sought his identity by opening his window to a rubble heap called Jerusalem hundreds of miles away because he knew that's where his salvation came from and would come from. He knew that that his identity lay there. He opened his windows towards Jerusalem because he had decided that he was going to frame God into his life, even in the clinches. Rory Shiner, who uh, is the chair of the Gospel Coalition, says this about Australian life, about the life that says, you do you. Be who you want to be. You do you. Your most authentic self is when you express yourself the way you want to. And he says this, Christians, or everyone, is not argued into expressive individualism. You do you. We are formed into it. To live in modern Australia is to be part of a relentless discipleship program. Every Pixar and Disney film, every graduation speech, every new novel and Netflix series is 100% on point. Your purpose in life is to find the true inner you and then express that to the world. God is framed out. The way to be a Christian today in our world is not to get a Christian Pixar up and running. It isn't to get a Disney film that affirms our values a bit more. The way to live as a Christian in the world is to open the windows to Jerusalem in your life and frame God back into your life in absolutely everything. To look at the rubble heap of Jerusalem with a cross outside it and say, that's where my hope lies no matter what. You can come here every Sunday and you can join a Bible study group, but if God is framed out of your life in the day-to-day of life, if he carries little weight in the clinches, that's when it's going to show where your hope actually lies. Daniel's identity lay in a rubble heap on the wrong side of history because he was convinced his salvation would come from there. As true of us. Our salvation is in King Jesus. Regardless of what the culture says, your salvation or your expressive individualism should be shaped by. But secondly, it says, just as he had done before. The power of habit. You can't take out of the bank what you haven't put in. And if we live Christian lives that are very thin, if church becomes once every three weeks and perhaps the rest of life is, you know, a weekend away, sport every second Sunday, we're not coming this week, we're not, it's too busy, got three music lessons and two, you'll just, that's what you'll keep doing <laughs> in the clinches. We can thin our Christianity out. The power of habit of being with God's people is absolutely critical for Christians going forward in the next 20 to 30 years from how I see it. You can't take out of the bank as Christians personally and corporately what we have not put in. And if things get tough culturally, in work, in life, or marriage, or relationships, then we will draw down on the things that we've deposited into our lives already. 
and you'll only know what those are when it happens. <laughs> Your reflex. You will keep doing what you have done before. That's the point. As an aside, and it was picked up, I thought it was picked up really well by, I like that, if I had one of those ninja guys with me, it'd be fantastic. But if you're one of the culture warriors here and you go, you know what, I've gone down the YouTube rabbit hole and I'm going to demand my rights as a minority in this country, in the workplace, if things get tough. Daniel didn't do that. But if your tendency is to go, well, maybe we'll just tick a few boxes here and I can affirm this and whatever that, so I can get on with the mission of Jesus. It's just 30 days, but we've got more influence long-term if we just sign off on these things. Daniel didn't do that either. He didn't go hard right, and he didn't go hard left. He just prayed, as he had done before, and saw that God was going to be his salvation, whatever happened. Whatever happened. So what did happen, right? (laughs) Well... He gets caught out, doesn't he? The people find him. His enemies find him, doing what he's done before. They bring it to the king, and the king is painted into a corner by his own stupidity and hubris, really. Then the king commanded, and Daniel was brought and cast into the den of lions. The king declared to Daniel, May your God whom you serve continually deliver you. The king's been blindsided, but he has to obey his own edict, And the officials are insistent that the law is a great cover for injustice. And Daniel's thrown to the lions, and a stone is rolled over the entrance, and night descends, and it gets dark, and the king's mood is darker still. Sleep flees from him. He can't eat. He's tormented. And the story is brilliantly written, isn't it? Verse 19, it says, Then at the break of day the king arose and went in haste to the den of lions. It's brilliantly put together. It's still not light. It's very early. And what happens? He calls out in a mournful voice, Has your God whom you serve continually, not has your God who you serve when it's convenient, <laughs> been able to rescue you from the lions? And he's overjoyed when he hears this. My God sent his angel and shut the lion's mouth, says Daniel, and they have not harmed me because I was found blameless before him, God, first, and also before you, O king, I've done no wrong. God has indeed rescued Daniel. And we love a happy ever after story, don't we? And we don't tend to read the bit at the back of that story to our kids as they're going to sleep at night. And then all the other men and their wives and even the little kids were thrown into the land of lion's den and they were chewed to pieces. I go to sleep and don't wake me at two in the morning, you know. <laughs> and it, it gets, I mean, it gets even better. God is universally glorified by Daniel's actions. Then Daniel, King Darius, wrote to all the nations and peoples of every language and all the earth, may you prosper greatly. I issue a decree that in every part of my kingdom, people must fear and reverence the God of Daniel, verses 25 and 26. And then look how it ends. So Daniel prospered during the reign of Darius and the reign of Cyrus the Persian. There's something in this story that Daniel starts in exile as a nobody in Babylon and he survives the whole sweep of history into the reign of the the king Cyrus who sends God's people back to Jerusalem. 
God is in control of history. And it could, on the surface, look like you too can be very successful in a complex and hostile world if you just trust God. And I'm old enough to have sung Dare to Be a Daniel in Sunday school in Northern Ireland back in the day. That if you dare hard enough, you win. If you dare hard enough, God will save you from the lions. Except, of course, the CEO of Essendon didn't get to keep his job. His reputation was shredded. And so might yours be as a Christian who wants to live faithfully to God. You might lose friends. You might lose influence. You might lose a promotion. They might save you, well, they're not a team player. They're not open enough to other ideas. You see, your reflexive move to trust in the rubble heap of Jerusalem may see you bypassed or unfriended. Your excellent spirit might not be enough to stop you hearing you're being a bigot. See, it's very easy to have a kind of prosperity gospel that if I pull the right lever for God, it'll all come my way. Now, we're not so crass, I think, in our setting to say, if I pull the right lever by God, I'll get a new car. Or if I give enough to church, I'll get rich. But there's a version of it that we have in our hearts that goes, if I'm godly enough and good enough, God will make sure it works out in this age and I'll have a fairly smooth trajectory through life. Could that happen? Maybe. But plenty of Christians have paid for their faith with their lives and some might pay for it with their livelihoods even here in Australia. And if we expect that God is there to bail us out because we've been faithful in this age, we can become despairing or angry when that doesn't work. All these years I've slaved for you. (laughs) And you have not given me a great job that I might celebrate with my friends. (laughs) If that's the case, and that's the only way to understand it, then perhaps Daniel is a fairy tale. But here's another way to look at it. There's a greater Daniel that this story is pointing to. There's a greater one who was faultless before the leaders of the people. There's a greater one against whom those leaders were jealous and who concocted a plan to get rid of him and brought him before a weak leader who ends up condemning him. It's the Lord Jesus. And the Lord Jesus is thrown to the lions of death for our sakes. And night falls as the stone is rolled over and it's dark. And very early in the morning, you can't keep a good man down. (laughs) He's raised to be seated at the right hand, the majesty on high, to the glory of God, and pronounced to the world. Jesus is the greater Daniel who's gone before us, which means 
the one we need to hear well done, good and faithful servant from isn't our boss or our friends. It's Jesus. He's the one. Whatever happens in this age, we follow him. Whether you keep your job by being a godly person or whether you lose it, whether you get career advancement or you don't, whether your friendship group approves of you or thinks you're kind of weird or a bigot. Jesus has gone before us. Whatever the turn of events, we will hear, well done, good and faithful servant, to the glory of God. Whatever the turn of events, let's be faultless, focused and faithful because of Jesus. Until that day, let's pray. Father God, thank you so much for the Lord Jesus who went to death for us, who took the shame of the cross outside that Jerusalem. And we now open our windows and we see the cross and we see the victory won in spite of that and because of it. And we have a great king. We thank you for the Lord Jesus who will one day say, well done, good and faithful servant. May we live joined up lives to his praise and glory and seek our identity in him. In his name we pray. Amen.